I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. Time for Type 40 or Doctor Who podcast from the Space Book for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, and your designated driver. Whether you're new to the show or this entire time stream, or you've been aboard before, you'll be happy to hear we're a far-reaching, non-gatekeeping, but eclectic show for everyone. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading, or listening along to the ongoing adventures of our hero, Doctor Who, we talk about it all on this show all views are encouraged and there'll even be a few laughs along the way keep your fingers crossed everybody so come and step into our tardis and share this journey together here with us on type 40. i have to say thank you for all the feedback we've been getting to the show lately both to the podcast and to the youtube channel all the stuff we've been doing over there it's been great to get uh, it's been great to hear from you all i've been picking my way through some of the direct messages and all the other things and the retweets few things that have uh, have struck me there seems to be a belief out there that type 40 is a kind of classic thing you know that we are a classic show rather than an all-encompassing doctor who show i wondered why that could be because we haven't got a remit on this show to do anything of the sort for us doctor who is doctor who and doctor who fans are all doctor who fans and we're all family and companions all together I did wonder, what would it mean to be a classic-focused podcast or classic-leaning? I mean, it's it's no bad thing to be, is it? <laughs> you know, but I, I did wonder where that may have started to appear. We're going to talk a little bit about that as this show goes on with two people that you may be familiar with. Yes, yeah, so seeing as we're leaning in to the, the gaps between the classic and the new, if any of them still exist... There were two very, very particular people I knew could shine unique light on all corners of that particular discussion. Firstly, it's our TV industry insider, and my mate Simon Horton. Hello, Dan. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here again. <laughs> 
Yeah. Do you remember when Doctor Who came back? I mean, that seems like quite a long time ago now, doesn't it? 15, right. 16 years ago? Well, that, that of course, is the ridiculous thing, isn't it? You you kind of think it's recent, and yet it's a long, long time ago. It's, it's 16 years ago. And so to put that into context, obviously, with the classic series, that would go from an unearthly child right up to season 16, which is the key to time season. And you think of the gulf between an unearthly child and the key to time, and it's yeah. just like, whoa! And we're talking... <laughs> the same actual time scale in modern Doctor Who now and this is this is you know hearing you talking about are we a classic show or are we a new what are we and and one of my main thoughts with the new series is that it doesn't really seem to have, have, have developed that much from Rose to the current series with Jodie Whittaker in whereas as I say you look at an unearthly child oh. to the key to time it's a massive gulf you and mean so, so you mean more stylistically stylistically narratively I, I you know i know that the jodie whittaker series the chibnall years have gone into territory that that, that previous yeah. um showrunners didn't go into you know that's for another show different question but still that's, that's narratively lore. it well it still works in roughly the same way it's the, the doctor is yeah. still the characterization of the doctor is still pretty much exactly the same as it was right back when russell t davis brought brought the show back um the storytelling is very similar the story structure Whereas, as I say, you look at the gulf between series one and series 16 of the classic show and it's it can't get much bigger. And so one of my criticisms about the new show would be it hasn't actually developed enough. It's almost like they've rested on their laurels on those first couple of Russell T Davis years and sort of tweaked with it. But but never really changed it that much. It's it's tinkering around the edges for me. And so I think that's a shame, actually. I think they should have changed it more. Do you remember how, as well, right away, and this is completely understandable, isn't it? When when Doctor Who came back and we were all behind it as fans, and you, maybe you out there, if that was your first experience with Doctor Who, maybe you were swept up in it. It came with that prefix, didn't it, of New Who, New Doctor Who. Yeah. It was always new, new, new. It was loud and clear. And the fan base as well, we played into that. We called it New Doctor Who as well. But of course, the longer something stays back, stays in the public consciousness and stays on TV invisible, then one would think the less need there is for any prefix, for any barrier between the two. And I think that it did get that way for a time. But here we are in 2021. And I believe that strangely, that that divide between the classic and the new, not only is it still there, but it may, may actually be be setting firmer than ever. Maybe that's just me. You could disagree. Simon, I don't know what your feelings are about it. And we've got somebody else we're about to bring in now. And I suspect he can uh, yeah, come at it from a different perspective too. You've heard him before. If you listen to our review of Revolution of the Daleks, the episode that I can never remember the name of, it was that memorable. Our next guest, he was on the panel reviewing that episode with us. And if you do watch our live streams over on the Spacebook's YouTube channel, Type 40 Live, then you heard him several times. But yeah, we wanted to get him back on the podcast. Well, let's face it, when you've got a voice as, as good as Barnaby Jago's, it needs to be heard in all its glory at all times. <laughs> oh, you. Oh, uh, hello, Dan. Yeah, thank you so much Welcome for having back. me back on again. It's great to be here. Welcome back, my friend. So yeah, the classic and the new. Are you a child of one or the other? Well, I, I was born during the, the wilderness years because it went off in 89 and I was born in 1990. So for that, that entire time... It, <laughs> so... 
it, it's interesting. But then I only really saw the um, I got into the classic series through uh, the reruns on UK TV Gold when they came out because yeah. I was lucky to have Sky when I was a kid, and also um, the recordings on the CD, which was always it, which were always in Waterstones and things. And I, I had a friend at school who had the whole, pretty much all of the first Doctor CDs in a big, a big like uh, CD case, and he'd lend them yeah. to me. And I've, I've probably still got a few of them. I should probably try and give the, those back. Uh, <laughs> they went but, for uh, a walk. Yeah, they they went for a walk. It has been quite a few years though. It's been like over over ten years in school, so I should probably get those back to them. Uh, and but it's it's interesting when you sort of say that the gap between the uh, classic series and the um, new Who, because yeah, we still call it New Who, even though it came back in what was it two thousand three? And, and I yeah, when it was commissioned to come in, and I almost like connect that strangely to the end of a um, serialization, because I remember being really surprised when. Um, because uh, I, I didn't know anything about because I was only 13 when it came out, the new series came out. I was surprised that it, that they weren't going for the serialization angle again, like having yeah, yeah. a whole story stretched over four. And I remember even as a kid being really disappointed by that. The other the other thing was going like, um, hang on a second. I mean, this, guy, this guy's northern. What's going on here? And because I was so used <laughs> to that kind of like uh, all the doctors being up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> I would almost connect it to like. Uh, the end of serialization and that's why we have a uh that kind of gap because then we have the movie which would we we still kind of connect that to to classic who don't we the movie yeah yes I do. absolutely i do that's i do was that is that only because sylvester's in it that we kind of connected to that i suppose possibly i yeah. don't know i don't i don't necessarily think it is i think firstly it, there is simply less of a gap between survival and to the TV movie in time wise than there is then between the movie and It's not and by the, much, but there is less of a gap. But there yeah. is less of a gap. So it's so if it's gotta fit in one camp, it it definitely for me fits in the classic. But also I, I think the movie was definitely tipping its hat to the classic years yes, in yes. the way that the Russell T. Davis years were very much an entire reinvention. They had no, they wanted to hit the ground running with with uh, no real acknowledgement to the classic series, um, whereas the movie was made very much as a continuation. So part of that, yeah, you're right, Barnaby is because Sylvester is in it. But the reason Sylvester's in it is because the producers of the show were making it very much as a continuation rather than a, a, a rather than a reimagining a re a re a reboot i would is say it, it's a very distinct classification is it between a reimagining and a reboot between yeah. a, and certainly between a continuation and a a restart a, a reimagining they're very very different things aren't they and yet the mainstream press get them mixed up all the time don't they barnaby <laughs> all the time but but even then the uh, the new series still had uh, like nice nods to the classic era which was really great for me i think in in dalek in particular i think was the first um uh, the first kind of nod with the uh, uh man head in the in the glass um, yeah. in the glass boxes and also even just like referring to uh, in the second episode we're referring to him as a as a time lord it's it's so hard to sort of like quantify because is it a reboot or a reimagining when you come down to because it, it was almost like it wasn't it was more of a sort of reboot but it was almost like a combination of it carrying on but it's going to be different now Rusty Davis is going to put his mark on it so I, I find it hard to sort of like to quantify whether or not it is because in my mind it is a, it is a continuation but it's still its own separate thing so it's a weird difference of things it's got its own dynamic and its own yeah. flavor and I think that you're right Simon I guess the first time I've ever stopped and thought about it after 
nearly 13 seasons, 13 runs if you include the specials, it is 16 years back on screens. The new series, as much as I personally love it, just as much as the classic show, mm. it hasn't really changed that much. I'm still now. I'm churning it over in my head. There must be some way, but I know I know exactly what you mean. We'll get stuck into that a little deeper as we go along. This is going to be very very interesting. It's a casual mm. conversation, but about something that means a lot to all three of us in both forms. I think probably. But yeah, before we get into that. You can do some real-time travelling of your own because each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. There'll be more about all of that a little later on, as well as a segue over to the matrix of all knowledge. <laughs> That's what we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a, a, a few words of wisdom about some of the fantastic other podcasts and great conversations that are going on over there. Tons I say Matrix and I want to do my Elgin impression. Hello, Doctor. <laughs> Goodbye, Doctor. <laughs> and Spandrel. God, how does Spandrel? He's like, oh, he's, he's, sorry, that actor sounded like he was drunk <laughs> throughout all of uh, The Deadly Assassin. What? He's going over there. What? Probably. Oh, God, find him, uh, Castellan. George Pravda, yeah. I think he, yeah. He's, either, he's, he's Polish or he's Russian, isn't he, by by, by nationality? That's that's what he I, is. He probably is, but I, I, I'm sorry, it's still quite hard to understand what he said. Oh, bless <laughs> him. He's adorable. Suspect, They're both adorable he was, great, he was great, though. He was great. I suspect that recording sessions were, were broken with a, a luxurious, a generous lunch hour in the bar it That's was the bbc far. in the 70s yeah yeah i mean i don't know this but but i suspect <laughs> okay <laughs> right. barnaby we're yes. going to start in a very very specific place i've got something to show you here now i've never actually mm. seen one of these in real life and i wonder if you have because this is very pertinent to a very exciting revelation, a brand new story that broke from the Doctor Who universe this week. So let's see if we can work out between us what this is. Uh, is it something that goes in K9? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, well, it's, actually, it's metallic. It's definitely metallic. It, it looks like uh, ticker tape is more familiar to me than whatever on earth that is. It, it's, uh, it's a video cassette recorder. I can see that. I'm going to say that it's got a front-loading <laughs> sort of yeah, yeah, cassette recorder the way you'd get on a VCR. But all those it's... dials and switches, it looks <laughs> like something it. you would need to you'd need it to sort of record where radiation was present. Something that Blake will uh, just uh, just um, press a couple of buttons on. Is it is it a, a Betamax? Is that what they were called? Betamax. Betamax. <laughs> no, it's not. Good guess. <laughs> it's not. Get in. Just a little, there's a label above the, the gap there, and it says it says U-matic. Now, I've heard the expression <laughs> U-matic several times. I personally thought that was a kind of drill. But uh, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently, I'm way off. But fortunately for the both of us, we do have a TV industry insider sat there sticking <laughs> with us both now to, uh, to fill in the gap. So, Simon, what is this that we're looking at? Yeah, this is, this is uh, you're right, it's Umatic. Um, so, no, it's not Betamax, it's not VHS. So, this is an industry standard uh, video cassette machine. Back in the days, you would have heard roll VTR, a roll videotape recorder, cool. uh, and, this yeah. is, and that's what would roll. That is the exact thing that would have rolled when they wanted to um, bring in an insert, a recorded insert, um, 
it used to be I think Roland Rat always used to say roll VTR Kevin um, <laughs> and uh, and, that, and that's what they would roll and and so what it is it is an industry standard I've used it so many times um, it's not really used a great deal anymore because obviously it's been completely replaced now by digital but you will find that most most editing houses, most uh, all broadcasters will have a, at least one of these and, and, and normally, you know, in the case of the BBC or whatever, multiple of these machines, because although they are defunct in inverted commas from the point of view that, yeah, everything's been replaced by um, digital formats now, tapeless formats, literally, literally in, a, in a, on, a, on a USB stick or an SD card oh, yeah. rather than even on tape. Tape is, is long since gone. But they will all have these because of of the fact they that we still have an enormous amount of archive um, recorded on these tapes. Um, and so I've got for you here. I can show you boys. I can show you a tape that would have gone oh. into one of these little beasties. My God, it's enormous. That is that is uh, as you'll see there. You can see the Umatic logo again there. Umatic SP. Um, so this is this is the format that was developed by Sony in 1969. Came, so it's bigger than your head. It is actually. It is actually. <laughs> it could fit really my head into that. Um, and and if I open it up for you, I say it was introduced by Sony in '69. Became um, started moving into the industry in '71. Um, so if I open it up, that what I love about these broadcast standard um, the, uh, tapes is that they come in these fantastic. They are. That is a real They're hard plastic. Or wow. that, I tell you what, that would survive a nuclear explosion. It's yeah. it's. Um, and so what you do is you open it up, and inside is the tape. And this is my very first. This is my very first own professional um, production from oh, wow. 1996, uh, and it was a documentary I made called uh, "Ghosts of York: Master Tape, January, February, 96." And you can see you've got all these little tick boxes there that you can tick to say is it in mono, stereo, PAL, color, so on and so forth. Because obviously, all that were very important for the broadcaster to know what it is that they are they're about to show. And you can just about make out there through through the window. That is the tape, which looks like an old VHS cassette from that point of view. But what's interesting about Umatic tapes is they actually go, the, the spools actually go opposite. So if you ever, for those of us who remember VHS machines, and you'd look through the window on top and the, both spools would be going the same way, on Umatic tapes, tapes, they actually go opposite. I've never understood why and how. It's like magic, but they do. One goes one clockwise and one goes anti-clockwise. But that is a umatic tape that there the little oh red dot there that's the, that's the protection button so you can take that out if you want to and tape over it but once that is in place it's protected um it's the same as a vhs tape again in that it's got the little um it's got the so, little flip so up simon do you think that the vhs well i'm betamax for that matter you know yeah that those domestic formats did they take the principles of that and just imagine Absolutely. them in a, more, in a more compact and cheap to manufacture way. Absolutely, totally. And Barnaby wasn't a million miles off when he said Betamax because Betamax is actually closer to this format mm. than VHS. Um, VHS diverged more from this format. Um, and, and so what that is, that would have gone into that machine that you've just seen there. In later years, they developed into uh, these tapes. So you can see the difference in the size between it's, it's these two. Smaller. 
yeah this is smaller so this is now a beta sp tape so you can see the difference in size you can see those obviously are the betamax <laughs> tapes that i remember from the video hire shops barnaby in the, in the mid <laughs> 80s you can see that this is literally half the size the beta yes. sp there you are beta cam sp that is literally half the size of the sp and again as i say yeah barnaby that is that tape is very close to a Betamax tape, and God. and yet you're right, Dan. Those are the ones that uh, that we used to um, that we used to get from the video recorder, uh, video fact um, shop. This was the short film um, that actually got me into television in the first place. So that's that's quite you know that's that's a, an important part of my history. It was and it was mastered. The, the the final film was mastered at Yorkshire TV, which no longer exists. But that's why that has got the Yorkshire TV um, logo on it because that was where it was ultimately mastered. Uh, on this one, the little the, the protection is a little a little red square there i can't quite remember how because that obviously on a vhs tape it was a little, a little plastic tab that you could twist and break off and once Correct. it was off it was off and and you could sort of put a bit of sellotape over, put it, sellotape over, back it, over it yeah but this obviously needs to be a little bit more robust so that as i say was a beta sp did you, uh, sorry a beta cam sp and then those ultimately uh, a few years later changed into digi beta um and you'll often hear people in the industry talking about digibeta and then ultimately it went down to high eights which are tiny tiny little tapes and all these are broadcast standard so quality, with the, quality with formats. the advance of the generation of formats the picture qualities remain the same uh, yeah well, that's a real well of course there are purists out there who would argue with you once it went on to uh, high eights, which are tiny, tiny little tapes about the same size as an audio cassette, the quality, no, is simply not as good as, as, as a digibeta. So what you would do, for example, if you were filming a drama, let's say in the 90s, to early 2000s, you would have used digibeta versions of this, which is that tape, but it's a digi version. That was very very high quality whereas the small ones would have been useful they would have used those for well we i used to use them a lot for and um, fly on the wall documentaries that kind of thing because they're very very small very lightweight cameras um but these obviously go into full size you know massive full size television cameras and ultimately of course now they record on sd cards simple as that everything goes onto an sd card the classic series oh. of doctor who between yeah. hartnell and mccoy those 150, just over 150 stories, would have originally been mastered on those large cassettes that you would just. Well, back in the 70s, back in the 70s, they would have been mastered on reel to reel. These came in as a, as a later format um, in sort of the 80s reel. Although they were kicking around, um, a lot of it would have been on older equipment these tapes are literally the very first ones to use the the reels of tape enclosed in a plastic shell as opposed to loose reels that you would spool spools basically that you would put onto a machine and have to to, to wind up and, and, and attach onto a blank spool this was the first one that used a cartridge cassette whatever word you want to use the plastic gotcha. box that it goes into basically um, and that Sorry. revolutionized the industry I was just wondering, how, how uh, long, how much footage uh, could you store on one of those tapes? How long? Is it like an hour? And it, it's literally, it's literally the same as VHS tapes. In that uh, oh. you can have them of, of, of. There are a number of lengths. This is, as you may guess, oh, oh, 30 minutes, is it? Thirty is it 30? minutes, absolutely. <laughs> so that, so that's one hundred eighty. 
There's 186 meters of tape on there, if you can just about make that out. Um, and yeah, 30 minutes on that one. And interestingly then, likewise, 30 minutes on this one. So again, you can see the difference that, that has been brought yeah. in. So you would get longer, you, you absolutely get longer beta tapes than 30 minutes. Not actually sure what the top end is. I'm not sure that they go up to sort of two hours. Because Barnaby, I remember when, Shows like Noel's House Party that was on in the 90s, like big entertainment shows, sometimes when they take you to BBC Television Centre and if presenters were being a little naughty, people like Noel Edmonds or back in the day, people like Kenny Everett and, and probably back even further, they'd sometimes have this sort of rebellious streak and they'd take you behind the scenes and drag a cameraman backstage through the galleries and all these other places at the BBC and you would see enormous cartridges of things <laughs> great hulking, hulking grey things and rows upon rows of them and, and racks and there used to be TV shows about archive TV and you'd see these things lined up but I never really knew what they what they were <laughs> what are they going to do with all that space then I mean they've got all that space where they used to store you know the, the mile high kind of like uh, packs of these things what are they going to do with them just turn them into new oh, studios right. I suppose mm. what's, what, what, what's interesting of course is, you, is, is as I say you Back in the day in the 70s um, and through through to sort of the early midish 80s, they would still have been recording on 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 large, much, much larger tapes. Uh, and when you watch the trial of a Time Lord, you will see that Drathro uh, is, is walking around yes. with one of these with one Those of these. The yeah, with, 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 with the can. Um, and of course, that, <laughs> they, they, were st they were just coming out of using those at that point and coming much more into 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 beta into umatic uh, tapes. Um, and and what would happen once you once you sort of used it, you would open the tape up, and I, I, you'll see that I've done this one. So you take that out, you take the card out, you flip it over, and that way you can then fill in all the Express details. Express details of what's on your media. <laughs> So, so, so there's not like an old VHS tape that you would write over it a million times. No, you, you get a little label and you can, so you can put a new label in. And these will be repurposed numerous times. You, you know, you, and this, of course, is, is, is the, the That's where Doctor Who comes in. Yeah. Absolutely, because they wiped so much of them because they were, they were precious. So what they would often do, you see, is they would keep um, old episodes of Doctor Who or certainly old rushes, uh, studio footage of Doctor Who, would be retained on these. The programmes as broadcast would have gone out on two-inch uh, tape, which is obviously much, much bigger than this. Um, but they would often retain a lot of the, the, the assets would be retained on these, because these are still broadcast standard. Um, so there's nothing wrong with the quality on them. That's a word I hear a lot as well, Simon, assets in, in terms of uh, television production. So yeah. It's all starting to make sense now, even to a layman like me. But I, <laughs> I saw, cause this week, I mean, it doesn't take Doctor Who fans much to get excited about things, does it? And, and announcements and little drips and drops and certainly rumours are always everywhere, particularly about uh, missing episodes and return footage and all that kind of thing. And so I think as a community, we've always got one eye, one ear, out for whatever for whatever we hear and depending on how much that we know about media and about the industry it depends on how much we can sort of take in and uh, put in context i think is the is the the phrase i'm not too bad i'm certainly a lot better than i was it's all starting to make sense but obviously there are, there are people out there who've written books on the subject you know our friend richard molesworth for example he's just got this encyclopedic knowledge of every format and every nation they've ever been to and all that sort of thing we're sort of still waiting with bated breath for the simple whisper of any doctor who episode entire episode returns to the archives for example we're always looking out for that but even a five minute excerpt a, a clip 
whatever. I've I've seen things elements and clips that have lasted four seconds come back to the archive barnaby and been, yeah. been met with open arms and, and rapturous response it's really like, exciting yeah yeah it, it is it is really exciting because they're slithers aren't they rather than chunks stuff for me as a kid i can only just sort of imagine and then like i remember when um the first yeti one uh turned out no the second one in um in the tube and uh oh, are they the web of fear and uh oh, i was just so happy i was just going ah it's not at all how i imagined it it's brilliant <laughs> so, uh, it's not yeah. how I imagined it, but it's still really, really good. It's still fantastic. Uh, this week, I was on social media and I saw this announcement from the collective known as Kaleidoscope. I'm going to use the word collective because they are an unofficial body of, I suppose you'd call them film historians, enthusiasts, and uh, missing material hunters, I suppose, if you wanted to sort of be really romantic about it. And they've got their own social media prints. They've got a website and a portal, and you can, you can sort of uh, sponsor Kaleidoscope. You can get involved with them in that, in that respect and help support their work. But they've also got a, a, a social media presence and a Facebook group, and then they've received a consignment of new material, and they gradually have to catalogue when something comes their way. For example, when they inherited the collection of Bob Monkhouse, I think it took them a couple of years to catalogue everything that the late comedian left in his fabled VHS collection. This is something that happens on a yearly basis for Kaleidoscope. They're always either buying or being gifted material, making their way through it. And they, they make some formal announcements, really, via their social media arms. And this one came out this week. So uh, here it is. It's from Chris Perry, who is the sort of the leader of that collective. And it says, Discovery 638, Doctor Who Studio Recordings. So this is from The Keeper of Trakens, scenes from episodes one to four. Four to Doomsday, scenes from episodes two to four. And uh, the BBC School series today and tomorrow episodes three and four. So we're not so interested in that, are we? <laughs> but it says, earlier in the year, Kaleidoscope uh, planned to bid on a batch of Umatics, as Simon's just been explaining to us, that contained these recordings. They reached an agreement with the gentleman, the consortium that had held them. The, the material could be secured. Yeah, uh, this guy, Mark Humphreys, from the Star-Lord Consortium, he was involved. And he says there's a lot going on on the Fort of Doomsday tape with setting up of the shots in the airlock for the for the spacewalk out to the TARDIS. So these tapes are very interesting. But it finishes off with saying that Kaleidoscope had hoped to show some of the footage at their next Missing Believed Wiped event that they hold in Birmingham. So this is a regular thing they do a couple of times a year, usually. That's not going to be possible for the time being. It says Mark and his team have been informed that hopefully this footage will be on a future Blu-ray release. So the Umatics themselves have been transferred to file by David Martin at Abbey Video Productions. So, Simon, speaking as somebody who's just walked us through these formats, mm. looking at this announcement, mm -hmm. material's been returned effectively to the archive and for us to eventually see. But what exactly is it that we'll be getting and we'll make it through to Blu-ray? Why is it worth getting excited about? Uh, well, you know, I am grinning like a Cheshire cat at the moment because <laughs> this, you know, this kind of footage, as as yeah. people who have watched the show before now or listened to the podcast will know, I, I just love seeing this behind the scenes footage. Of course, what's particularly interesting about Fort of Doomsday is that it is Peter Davison's first story. Now, we've already seen, if anybody that's got the um, the, the, the season 19 Blu-ray release, that has got uh, an hour uh, of studio footage on there, which is actually Peter Davison's first ever studio session as the Doctor. Um, and that's the entire tape, what they've put on 
the, the meg on the uh, four to doomsday blu-ray is the entire tape um of studio footage that that was, has been held for for a while um and as far as we were aware that was it that was all the footage that that existed um so to to f suddenly find that we've got another block of studio footage from four to doomsday is fantastic it's the same with with keeper of Traken. i wasn't aware of i don't i don't think anybody was aware of any keeper of Traken uh, raw studio footage i certainly hadn't seen any i don't i'm, I'm think i'm confident in saying there's none on the uh, season 18 blu-ray um so i think this is the first studio footage we will ever have seen from the keeper of Traken. And as I say, to me, this is just absolute gold dust. Second only to the recovery of episodes. Um, mm. You know, yeah, of course, recovery of episodes is, is top. It's recovery of studio footage or film rushes is absolutely second for me. And I, and, and in, and I just adore seeing it because it, it just gives, for anybody that's watched the raw studio footage, um, on the Blu-rays as they've been released so far and on some of the early DVD releases as well. Some people might watch it and think, you know, how many times can I watch them set up this one shot? It's of no interest to me. But for me, it's enormously interesting. Now, I don't know whether that's purely because, yeah, I've worked in television and so I, I can totally relate to it. Or is it because is, are all Doctor Who fans going to be as interested by this? I don't know. Uh, you know, that's Barnaby, for, for, are you for interested? You guys to I, I'm actually I'm actually really interested in it. Uh, my housemate and I have been watching the um, behind the scenes footage they've got from the visitation on their um, Blu-rays. And even though it's pretty much just one of them is just like one shot of them setting up the um, the aliens in the background. It's only like yeah. one shot of them on yeah. a on a monitor. But it's just fascinating uh, just seeing the uh, the this, this guys at the studio just talking to them, saying like, hey, we're going. Yep. Very good. One more, please. Sun and sunset, everyone. I've worked in uh, behind the camera a few times myself, so I, maybe that's also why I find it really fascinating. But how it's it's kind of changed, but it hasn't really changed that much. There's still the old like you know someone's going to be talking in the back, like keep it quiet, please. Thank you. <laughs> why doesn't any of this stuff break the spell for us? Do you think? I I don't know. I think it's just again because it's connected to something that we love, and it's just it's another thing we haven't seen. And I think most Whovians love to. Um, watch oh it's an, another thing no one's seen before and it's like another extra layer onto it now and how what the people were like behind the camera as well because we're, we're always interested in the directors in the um in the script writers and things like that we we love hearing about them and chatting with them and also just to hear you know a runner on set and we're just thinking oh you know who's that you know wonder what is his story how did he end up there what did he people think was going on dash around don't they holding clipboards yeah I think Barnaby, you're right. I think to a large extent, it's the it's the characters of the, of the real people. I'm not talking about the the, the the fictional characters. I'm talking the characters of Peter Davison, Tom Baker, yeah. Jan Fielding, whoever it is. And yeah. you're right, producers, directors, because. I think generally as Doctor Who fans, we tend to invest more in it than just a passive watching of the show. Yeah. Um, we've we've invested time and money in the in the actors and the production personnel as people. We're interested in in their lives. We're interested in in how they work within a studio setting, and so I think it is that because we go that one step further than just this passive watching it's fascinating to watch people at work that we kind of feel in a way we know we sort of almost know we they're almost our sort of friends that well in many respects they are as much a virtual friend as as a virtual friend you might have on facebook yeah. and so and so in that respect we want to see them at work we want to see how it works what are they like how does it work do they get angry there's some fabulous footage of tom baker from the leisure hive getting really quite grumpy <laughs> 
But it doesn't take anything away no. from my love of Tom Baker or the Leisure Hive. It's just interesting to see how it got to the screen to the screen in the first place. That's the interesting part. It's like we're there as well, because I love watching the iDents as well, yeah. going like, and now on BBC One, a new adventure for Doctor Who. And and sometimes they pronounce it wrong, like, and now on the talons of um, Wing Ching. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can tell that the announcer had not seen it the previous week, and they're just reading no. some A4 that they've been handed like 30 <laughs> seconds before. Like, oh, wasn't that exciting? Doctor Who comes back at the same time next week. And that's just, and it's just fun seeing the old, um, the old globe and just seeing that. It's like, again, it's just... Kid, yeah, yeah. it's almost like I'm there in the 80s watching it on telly for the first time so that's have funny. you seen those ones where sometimes because I remember those globes I would imagine that you do as well Simon so a lot of those announcers when I hear those voices they were when you're growing up in the 70s and the 80s the continuity announcers there were almost like part of the family because there's only three or four of them and so you knew all their voices but now on some DVD and blu-ray releases we even get those um like the studio countdown clocks and, yes. and slates, handwritten slates and people counting down. That also has that appeal to me as well because you can feel, and I don't know if, if it's the same for you when you're at the day job, when you're recording, I'm not actually on set. This is all happening decades ago. And yet you can almost feel the tension in the air when they're counting down to action. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the thing is to, to, to bear in mind is that back in those days that you're talking about sort of in the 70s, 80s, even earlier, um, they really were counting down to starting the recording. And then they knew they'd got two hours to get the whole show in the bag. And, and, and that was it. Um, and it is a tense environment. The studio environment is very tense. Um, some of my early work was on Emmerdale and... It's some of the most stressful work I've ever done was was working on Emmerdale. Once those cameras start, you cannot afford to stop. There's you a, can't a momentum to it. Absolutely. And I can remember my, my early days um, in, in television on Emmerdale was it was literally as a third AD, third assistant director. So I had the unenviable task of, of if we were going to go into overtime because we weren't going to get all the footage recorded that day. I was the one that had to go around to all the members of the production team and all the actors and say, do you mind if we go another 10 minutes over? And, and of course, so all the all the the bile and the annoyance was, was leveled at me. And oh, so God. they were... First line of defence, Simon Horton. <laughs> it is a tense environment. And so it's difficult. Well, it's easy to overlook that and forget that. Those recordings of Doctor Who, it's a, or any television drama from that era, it's a wonder they got anything in the can at all because it was such a tense environment. The pressure was huge to get the show on and finished within those two hours of studio time. Because for all, for all that we've said as well about the new the lifespan of the new series and how some things may not have changed, it, it seems to have gone a little more filmic now, Barnaby, whereas between the, the 60s and probably the mid to late 90s, it still was all very three-walled. Because the majority of actors back then were were stage trained, and the and people were still like coming to grips with what, and actors were still coming to grips with how how to act in front of the camera, and certain things work in different ways. But I quite sort of enjoy that. I was actually rewatching last night um the, the Black Hole, amazing film, but very much that kind of like yes, very good, Vincent. We need to go and do that, and go and do this, and it's it's very much like he's projecting. He's got his face to camera, that kind of thing, and it's still very Stoicism. moving along. Stoicism, yeah. Uh, very sort of bombastic and theatrical. When we think back to the uh, the history of the show being made, 
as part of a machine with that momentum, classic Doctor Who, bang, 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 particularly when it was on, God, in the, in the Hartnell and Troughton era, era, when it was on most weeks of the year, something like 40-odd weeks of the year, it still seems like a, a, a real feat. And, and the, even more so when you see the technology that was involved, enormous players and cassettes, and obviously the, the limits that, that all human beings have, whether they're behind or in front of the camera. Well, also, the, I mean, the interesting thing, anybody that's kind of looked into, into sort of the, pro, the production history, certainly in the 70s, during, say, for example, the Barry Letts years uh, and, and the Philip Hinchcliffe years, you will sometimes read in certain books, the, 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 the archives, for example, where you're reading about the, the, the studio day um, and there will often be a memo there from from Barry Letts for example saying sorry we overran there was an overrun in the studio of 15 minutes because the tape machine broke down you know we're literally talking something as simple as that yeah. that, that, that the technology was that sort of fragile um, that tentative that you could literally have an old tape machine for, for one of these that would literally break down and that was it you lost 15 minutes of studio time and you then were in a situation of you either just drop a few scenes um or you go around and 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 you know to make this clear for anybody that hasn't been in a studio of the of that era you absolutely would have had somebody would have to go around and ask each individual person do you mind if we overrun by five minutes 10 minutes 30 minutes whatever and if one person said i'm sorry i'm not going to do it that's it your studio period was over and you were done um and there was there was terrible demarcation problems as to who did you ask first because back in the the, you know we're talking union days here and so asking the right people in the right order was also crucial because if you asked the the lecky (laughs) before you asked the chippy for example why he's already given permission and I, you, you should have come to me first it's like oh there is it is and of course everybody wanted to be asked first and everybody wanted to give permission first um it, they were fraught days and it's and as <laughs> terence dix has famously said you know our raison d'etre was purely to just get the show on the air and that's why in many ways you look back on those old doctor who's of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and it's a miracle that they are of any standard whatsoever for us to want to rewatch. They were great for a first watch, but for us to want to still keep watching them and be able to look through all the faults and the shortcomings of the special effects that were left till 10 minutes before the end of the studio day, it's it's yeah. amazing that they were the standard that they were. I don't suppose we should be surprised that machines like that pneumatic recorder that we saw earlier on that we've been talking about, that we've been describing, having a bit of fun with, we probably shouldn't be that surprised that these machines survive intact because they look like miniature tanks, don't they, Barnaby? Yeah, built, <laughs> definitely built to last, God. But uh, looking at the at the cassettes themselves and the footage and the material, obviously we've had these new finds, these new, this new footage that's been returned to the archive that we are going to apparently see at some point down the line. Maybe the greatest danger to those because those cassettes they look formidable too the greatest danger to that material probably wasn't through damage unless somebody threw it in a fire i mean who would do that unless somebody threw it in a fire the only fate that is going to befall them is just getting lost just getting lost amidst a wealth of other material or simply being put through the tvs the tv system the chain the industry the well, I mean, every time you play one of these cassettes, they de- they slightly deteriorate. Simple as that. Oh, they, that there's right? oxi- oxidation and, and stuff, so they do gradually deteriorate. Um, 
and also and this is this is the heartbreaking part of course they can be taped over um, and so we know for a fact that a lot of footage was of, of studio raw studio footage from Doctor Who in the 80s was kicking around um, JNT John Nathan Turner had endless uh, tapes VHS tapes of studio footage that he taped over with Coronation Street because he just used to take them home and use them for time shifting for Coronation Street and we know we've lost studio footage through that and and why so much of this stuff has gone there's a there's a, a tantalizing tiny little bit of planet of evil that the 1975 tom baker story right at the end of, of not even a planet of evil tape it's i can't remember it's at the end of animal magic or something or other um there's just <laughs> literally a few seconds 30 seconds or something of studio footage from that you know and to have the whole tape of that Whilst we can bring people to task, Barnaby, for, for perhaps not foreseeing the rise in home media, let alone streaming, for not seeing that 30, 40 years ago when this stuff was junked, that's actual material. It's probably unreasonable of us to expect that material that was n never intended to be seen should be kept, particularly when it was license fee payers' money. But nevertheless, what does get returned to the archive and made available to the fandom in any context it's put a smile on all our faces just speculating oh, yeah. about it for the last half an hour or so so yeah I, I can't wait to see it and i sometimes i watch sort of watch it in bursts and then i fast forward a little to see if anything happens but i love the fact that it's there barnaby mm. i want to see peter swear again because uh, that's one of my favorite uh, <laughs> behind the things bits <laughs> Well, the, thing, the thing that I wonder is what on earth are they now going to do with it? Because, of course, season 18 and 19 have both been released oh, on Blu-ray. We yeah. kind of thought they were definitive yeah. editions. Um, yeah. You know, people are already joking about these will be on the special edition or the 4Ks or whatever. <laughs> Who knows? I d it would feel wrong because they've been so precise with the Blu-rays to keep everything very contained as to the correct thing at the correct season. You can't put them on a Blu-ray release now without them being out of place no. unless they do at some point re-release season 18 and 19 but we all want to see it don't we let's be honest we all want to see that yeah. footage i'm, I'm desperate to, to see it. more when i heard that this had been returned i thought well, i have to have to tell the guys i have to tell all you lot just to see the looks on your face have you heard what do you think it is when do you think we're going to see it? that's that's doctor who fandom that's how we all tick it's time for us to take a little break just a couple of moments to remind you about some of those other fantastic conversations going on across the fandom podcast network on all those other shows so uh, listen up for a couple of minutes to a friend of ours about all of that then meet simon and barnaby and myself back here in a couple of moments to uh, to do more geeky doctor who talk across across the universe Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the Fandom Flashback Podcast, discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, and TV pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. 
What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at fandompodcastnetwork and on Twitter at fanpodnetwork. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've uh, teased and tantalized you there, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40, if you head over to tpublic.com and search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and there you'll find a storefront of all the team colors for all of those shows on everything from T-shirts to phone cases and tapestries. Seeing is believing. Treat yourself treat your other selves and it all goes to support the fandom podcast network into the bargain so everybody wins just this once rose everybody wins <laughs> we're back with uh, with barnaby and simon you like that do you <laughs> we're back with barnaby and simon for more doctor who talk and uh, yes specifically i wanted to look at this with you guys because yeah we were talking about the classic and new series sort of dilemma why that divide is still there barnaby what's going on and you know what, maybe I shouldn't be that surprised because the classic branding may have gone by the wayside, the legacy branding that we loved so much, those chunky, friendly, Pertwee-era logos we used to see across all the merch in favour of this sort of homogenised branding that we now have. But there is a definite line, there's a definite difference between new series and, and classic who merchandise and material in the way that it's put out. Now, I've been looking at this. This is a list we have of all the biggest Doctor Who events, things that have been released just this year in, in 2021. And it really struck me looking down how much of it is related to the classic show. So mm -hmm. in January, January 2021, obviously we had Revolution of the Daleks, that special that Barnaby, you and I talked about. Oh, for yes. a good hour or so, you still haven't seen. It. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, there's that. But then in February, we've got the 50th anniversary steelbook that got released. Okay, it's it's old, but it's not old, old. It's it's new series old. But then you get into March, and you've got uh, the season eight of the classic show on Blu-ray, and we have an, another new series Blu-ray came out in in April, a steelbook. But then uh, from May. And June, we've got uh, classic series content coming out in both the collector's edition format and these new standard editions of seasons 19 and 12. Those were released in July. There's a further two sets, the season 10 and season 18. 
Uh, but in between that, we've got season 24 coming straight to Blu-ray for the very first time. And uh, in August, still to come, we've just had confirmed the, the Web of Fear special edition Blu-ray and DVD. And then in September, it's the Evil of the Daleks. That gets fully animated yes. also on DVD and Blu-ray. So this is all really exciting stuff. But most of that, it's a, there's a heavy classic, uh, classic series vibe to it all, isn't there, Barnaby? Why, why do you think this is? Oh, <laughs> all sorts of different reasons. I mean, there's all the, the classic series has always been popular and it's always going to stay popular. And I think particularly right now with with the fandom, people want to go back and see all these amazing episodes in in high definition. And they and there's so much amazing stuff on the Blu-rays anyway and um, new stuff that's coming out and all the new footage that people are just so interested in that. And also Evil of the Daleks as well, which is a is one of my favorite Dalek episodes. Uh, just that that coming out in particular. I mean, that's something I'm very very excited for. But it is a, it is a classic, brilliant story, which I I I just think is is perfect. It's a perfect Dalek story. I mean, obviously I'm biased because I'm more of a classic fan than I am more of a New Who fan. But yeah, the cl classic will always just be everything to do with it will always just be better. Why is it for you that you gravitate more towards the classic series with you being sort of bang in the middle? Because it could have gone either, gone mm. either way for you, couldn't it? Well, I first started with the classics, so they'll always have that nostalgia for me. But uh, I just, I just far prefer the serialization. I far, far prefer the stories being drawn out, and you know, lots of really great um, and such fantastic acting as well. Even in some of the not so great acting episodes, they're still they're still fun to watch. And uh, yeah, just um, I mean Baker's era as well. He's still the, the one of the best doctors in my opinion. Just seeing him out there and. I just I sort of grew up with classic to a degree, and I had seen most it's of the cozy. classic. Cozy, it's a cozy before. watch. It's cozy, it's familiar, and yeah, it'll, it'll always have more of a place in my heart than than I'm, you who. So yeah. So so I'm intrigued. How was it that you came to to because obviously Dan and I came across classic who because we watched it as it was broadcast and so it was getting a lot of publicity on the bbc at the time you always knew when a new season was yeah. coming up um so and, and back in those days there were literally only three channels and so by a by a method of elimination you were likely at some point as a child in the 70s 80s and the 60s as well to to stumble across doctor who but you were far less likely to stumble across Doctor Who because it certainly wasn't on on um, terrestrial mainstream broadcast television at that point. So I'm, I think you said you've seen it on UK Gold. So I'm I'm intrigued. How did you stumble across it, or were you introduced to it by somebody? How how did you find it? Oh, it was an utter stumble. I remember um, when I was a child, I was growing up in Isle of Wight, and I was walking past this some um, shop which was selling like sort of old toys and things like that. I loved going in there as a kid, but I could never afford anything in there because it was all like collector stuff. So it was so exciting. And I was walking past the um, shop, and in the window was a Depol Dalek in its original packaging, yeah, yeah. a little uh, Depol Dalek. And I said to my uh, my mum, "Michael, what is that?" She goes, "Like it's a Dalek," as if. I was only like I was only like about eight years old at the time, but obviously she'd be like, "Come on, you must know what a Dalek is." I'm like, "No." And so she said, yeah, it's, it's this guy called um, the Doctor. He travels in a phone box or something, and he goes like through time and space. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I was intrigued. And for my birthday, uh, <laughs> I can't remember if I've said this before. The, the first Doctor Who thing I did see was the Peter Cushing movie uh, oh, with the really? Daleks in it. Had a, uh, we, we stopped off. Uh, I, I got for my birthday the, um, the Dalek, uh, both movies in like a, a DVD um, a two-pack. And um, I watched them, and 
I was going like, okay, so he's a human inventor uh, with a <laughs> with a granddaughter, and that's his um, and uh, Chester trying to stitch it all together, going on with Barbara, and I'm like, oh, okay, it makes more sense. And, and then when I went to school, uh, my my last last boarding school, when I was uh, when I was about sort of like um eight or uh, when I was about nine or ten, uh, I had a friend there who said like, don't be stupid, no, he's an alien. I was like, no, no, he's not an alien. No, he's an old man. He's an old man inventor, and he's gonna don't be stupid. And he gave me the whole bunch of of his CDs in with Unearthly Child and the Daleks, and I listened to them all, and I far far preferred that i far preferred him being a, a mysterious alien and, and we didn't quite know who he was or um who who um susan was and all these kind of things and i was just utterly hooked and i worked through them all and i i can still remember being absolutely flabbergasted uh hearing on the audio like wait he's he's dying and then he turns into someone completely different and and so <laughs> for, for a way even though it was only audio for me it was still like i was living it like you guys were first probably like seeing it like in the i, I don't know if you saw it back in the 60s uh, when it first came out then so it's, 70s 70s barnaby 70s, 70s, 70s. <laughs> sorry uh, so even then and then carrying on and it became like it, it was a real sort of like i'm still friends with this guy uh we still we still sometimes meet up and he he introduced me to uh uh when i first went off from the audios to the uh show me my first tv episode which if i remember correctly it i yes i think it was an unearthly child the first ever one i saw but i can barely remember it but uh, then he had lots of pertwees on vhs but none in any particular order so we'd watch them sporadically i didn't see um uh, pertwee's first episode until i think i was about like 17 or 18 or something like that so it was all like all over the place and so yeah from utterly stumbling and just complete and utter luck uh just found a franchise which was just um wonderful cozy and uh it was just i i still re-watch to this day just... god that is such an interesting <laughs> story and an interesting way in so in effect you would you would you say that you fell in love with it when you saw the peter cushing films or did you not fall in love were you just kind of still intrigued at that point and didn't fall in love with it until you heard the audios or did you not fall in love with it until you then finally saw the episodes at what point do you think you became hooked it's interesting because even as a kid watching the uh the peter cushy movie i was getting it was a bit silly <laughs> with uh, uh with um oh, what's his name uh with that was they were quite sort of slapstick and thing i think chesterton was like uh, he's sitting on a button or something and a door opens and i'm going like yeah. <laughs> it's a bit silly here uh, but, but I think I really fell in love through through the audios and listening to Hartnell's voice. And I, I think what really did it for me was the Edge of Destruction. When he, he sits down in the last episode, he has a monologue where he's talking about where they are right now and they're at the Big Bang. And I'm just like, hooked. Captivated, absolutely captivated. I, simple, I, simply I, the words. And I am, and I'm just stunned that you could fall in love with it. I'm, you're the first person I know who, in effect, fell in love with it through the audios, yeah. uh, and that, to me, just goes to show the power of the storytelling yeah. of those of those episodes, um, because it's it's just so unusual to fall in love through the audio. Did you have photographic references to look? Had you got some sort of hook at that point? You kind of vaguely knew what a Dalek was, or was it all? pretty much in your imagination at that point all i had uh, as a as a young boy at boarding school all i had was the cd cover <laughs> and i would listen to it while looking at the cd cover yeah. when i was uh, eight or nine years old just going like okay that's the tardis that's a dalek and all these sort of things and it was just that's nuts but it, but it really also i mean the uh, the production also the acting as well the fact and they were 
stage actors and so they're used to their bodies but through their voices as well I just felt I was there and also the narrations done by him Fraser Hines and the rest of them as well really were a perfect um, element to it and, and I think that's also why I, I fell in love with the um, the big finish as well because I also listened to Winter for the Adept when I was 10 years old and I thought that was an actual episode that's a Peter Davison big, big finish a, story isn't it it's Peter Davison one with them um, with Nissa and uh, I thought oh there must be a TV version of this, and so I was yeah. scrabbling to the to the IT room at school and trying to find it, and get like, oh, it's it's just a audio. That's confusing. But the fact so, that it sounded that authentic to you, it that did. it sat perfectly in the era. So yes. so you were so you would be listening to these episodes, uh, and, and at that point, presumably, you knew that they did that 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 it it was a TV show, and so the video version existed. You knew what you were listening to in that respect, um, and so was it. Then did you then kind of go out and try and hunt down the TV show, or did you then sort of in effect stumble across that on UK Gold that you suddenly noticed they were broadcasting? Uh, from uh, my mate and giving me a couple of the um, VHSs, which is mostly Pertwee, but a lot of um, uh, Pertwee's ones weren't on uh, UK Gold at the, at the time, and none of the Dalek ones were either, because I think there was a whole thing with oh, Terry God, Nation's yeah. uh, estate. Terry Nation held he... them back, yeah. Oh, yes, okay. he held them back. So I, didn't see a, uh, so I didn't see a proper Dalek episode for a long time, but I did actively go out and hunt down as many of the DVDs I could find that were in Bullworths at the time, <laughs> and just, uh, uh, and the first one, was the first oh first one i owned was was earthshock and uh, that oh, was a brilliant one my first ever brilliant. peter davison one until uh until uk tv gold started doing it's, some it's, more in order it's so strange because of course dan and i and and so many of the fans obviously have just discovered it you know literally in bite-sized chunks as as a new season has come out yeah, through the broadcast. 60s 70s 80s whatever it was you yeah. discovered it and there was literally you opened the chest on a treasure trove of just an enormous back catalogue yeah. of stuff to go and, and literally cherry pick in and out. You must have felt like a kid in a candy store to discover that. Actually, <laughs> you found Absolutely. something you love, and there's so much of it to love. Oh, it was it was a fantastic sort of thing. Particularly, you know, sort of uh, quite like not many friends as a child, but I had this whole like universe. Like I just suddenly opened up and was just digging into it. You know, had the novels and the um, uh, the comics as well at some point because I think they were reprinting those around that kind of time. So I had yeah. them. And uh, yeah, just just diving into it, and utterly again flabbergasted as a kid that no one had heard of it. I'm sort of like running around talking about Doctor Who in the playground. People <laughs> look at me like, no, no, Pokemon, right? I'm like, no, 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 Do Doctor Who, Doctor Who, and they're just like looking at me weirdly, like, yeah, you're a bit old. <laughs> and this because is something that's like definitely definitely carrying on, guys, because I'm now seeing people in their in their mid twenties, you know, young, younger than yourself, by mid twenties early 20s again yeah. getting swept away in this and I, I was wondering why and i've got a theory that it's it's kind of born partly of the of the streaming age and and this sort of this deluge of information and things that have that are sort of vying for our time simon and you and i we sometimes moan a little bit and say oh it's not like how it was back in the old days you know, we back moan. then we had to wait a week to get an episode <laughs> but i was thinking about it in the way that we watched it in this very sort of analog way and you've got, you've got a chunk and a chunk and a chunk. Whereas people who decide they want to get into Doctor Who, they have a very si similar experience to Barnaby. But, but Barnaby still, you know, you still had to kind of dig in uh, and um, find, locate, so you could view uh, and take all this stuff in. You had to find what you could and piece it all together. Whereas now, all it really takes is five ninety nine subscription to BritBox. Yeah. And everything is there this entire universe and people can literally dive in 
with the remote control, Simon. You know, because I'm getting off. I get asked quite a lot, "Where shall I start?" And you know, we've we've said this before. There are three or four really obvious starting points, but great many people literally pick a story at random, dive in, and they can afford to do that because there is they can be bathed in it all. Yeah, and and Doctor Who is absolutely one of those things where you, as I think really has happened with with you, Barnaby, where you literally open a a very small little chink and look Mm. inside and you see something that you like and then you suddenly realise that actually... It's enormous because, yeah, if you once you've dipped into Doctor Who, if you discover you like it, there's just an enormous amount out of there to enjoy. And I also think that this is where, for me, this is where the classic series does score over the over anything from from 2005 onwards, because as you uh, have alluded to here, Barnaby, once you dip into those little, in effect, bite-sized chunks of a 25-minute episode, if it grabs you, you just want to go out and you want to watch episode two and then episode three and then episode four. Whereas with the modern series from 2005 onwards, because it is in 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 just discrete 45-minute chunks that you're kind of done, you are. I think there is more ability for you as a viewer just to walk away and think, oh, yeah, that was really good. Anyway, what are we having for tea? Whereas with those real little nuggets of 25 minutes that really hooked you in with those cliffhangers, they knew what they were doing with the cliffhangers. Oh, yeah. So so I think that, that, that in many ways the classic series is the better way in to Doctor Who because it's what draws you in and makes you want to watch more. Whereas for me, the modern series is a little bit more. It's self-contained. It does what it says, and then it moves on. And so you move on as well. There used to be a lot of criticism of it, Barnaby, when when I was, you know, when I was in my twenties, and the show was off air, and the stuff was coming out on video, and it was on on UK Gold, sort of originally, or BSB when it first appeared on on uh, non-terrestrial TV, whereby it would get classified and dismissed as a lot of tatty, dated old nonsense. And you would think that three decades on, that that would be increasingly the case. And yet it, it isn't. I think that Doctor Who, just like a lot, a lot of older shows, I think the original Star Trek has gone through the same kind of thing, where Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who, has managed to, to travel and, and, to, uh, and to endure that entire time where it could be and was dismissed as being dated to a point now where, where looking its age and being a product of its time is now it's nothing to be poked fun at it's mm. largely accepted it is uh, enjoyed based on those on those virtues i don't think it really matters how you consume that material if you watch it and think oh isn't that cute weren't they doing their best or if you get completely enveloped by the story and production values just don't register with you there's no right or wrong answer and no correct or incorrect way to to go on that journey. I think what matters is that you do connect with it on some level rather than the level at which you do. The fact that we do collect on different levels makes it much more interesting when fans like us, whether it's across generations or across continents, get together and talk. Mm. Production value and even the, the times, I mean, as a kid, never really like, you know, got in the way of it and still still doesn't now i mean like they always go on about like walls kind of like moving when you lean on them but that's only ever I, happened in one or two episodes i, I noticed, never so, noticed you know, never, no, noticed. I never noticed 
I do so when I'm watching Faulty Towers, Barnaby. I do when I yeah. see that. Loads the of it's in Faulty Towers. The entire set is shaking, but yeah. nobody mentions about that. It's the classic, the perfect sitcom. No one mm. ever mentions that that set was never still, Simon. It's it's ridiculous. Faulty Towers, literally the whole set just constantly yeah. is... I think again, what is what it is is that the the quality of the storytelling shines through, as does the characterization, as do the characters, as do the people portraying those characters, and also I think the thing is with Doctor Who, there is a, the, the people making the show, both behind the the cameras and in front of the camera, did bring a little bit of extra love to their jobs in the way that as I say we talked earlier about Terence Dix who said no we just tried to get the show on air uh, whilst that I think is tr clearly true because they just got a job to do I think also there is uh, you can see the love of Doctor Who shining through in all of those episodes they weren't just trying to get the show no, on air Ter and just Terence do their Dix, job to get Terence home in Dix time is very very playful and he was very self-deprecating and I think that some of that, yeah. there are measures of that in all of those quotes from Uncle Terence. I agree. And I think to me, it's obvious that, no, they were having a, a whale of a time. They were proud of what they were doing. This wasn't just a another show. Um, and I think that's what elevates it above certain other vintage TV of its era. All it has is kind of its shaky sets. So even when Doctor Who does have a shaky set, you don't actually notice it. You don't notice that the, 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 the poor effects, um, if, if, you know, if, if there's DSO fringing around the edges, it's not that it's part. I don't necessarily go with it, and it's part of its charm. No, I, d I don't because no, that's it's not part of its charm for me. It, it's just that it's a damned good program, and I don't care yeah. about the faults of it. I still want to watch it, and I still want to enjoy it um, for what it is. And it's definitely it's lightning in a bottle. There is no two ways about it doctor who is lightning in a bottle and, and i think any broadcaster you know would would pay a fortune to get something of the format of doctor who back again that was that lightning in a bottle because it's so difficult to how many other shows like doctor who have endured pretty exactly. much none yeah. you know doctor who in many ways mm. is a, a unique truly unique production um and I, as i said i think any tv exec would give their it just to have a similar opportunity to come up with a similar format and boy they've tried they've tried but it's, it's <laughs> they really have tried i was over on twitter a few days ago and uh, i i think it was uh, i think it was when the standard edition blu-rays were released something new had been released and i saw people in their early 20s you know they're getting getting their dvd through the post or getting their steelbook and taking a selfie of them kissing this inanimate object you know and genuinely chuffed that this thing had come through the post and i just think it's a it's a wonderful thing for all the the evils of social media which we all talk about and twitter is probably the very worst for for the behavior of some factors on that platform but there are a lot of there are a lot of sweet things to see there are a lot of life affirming things to see and there is a lot of the charm the appeal and the longevity of doctor who even if you don't read a single word and just scroll down something like twitter or to a, to some extent instagram as well and you can see the affection radiating back from the audience and Barnaby, you know, the look on your face when we talked a little about the fact that even the Daleks is coming out on, on yeah. Blu-ray in animated form, there's that. Too. That's quite widespread too. I mean, I picked up this graphic here, I'm about to pop 
pop out to you now, pop on screen. So this is um, this is a fan that has put this together. I don't know which one, but they were so excited about Evil of the Daleks coming out. They've been and looked at every other candidate for the animated sort of remake process and tried to work out what could possibly come when how many stories, how many episodes, how... <laughs> the people going to go to these lengths. It's another form of list making, Simon, that Doctor Who fans <laughs> have been doing for decades. But that's <laughs> that was somebody, again, that excited by this line of merchandise, not by what's on TV, that's another question, but by the brand, by the, the universe itself and all that material. Yeah. Dalek's master plan definitely needs to be a Yeah, Yeah, Doctor Who is... Take a while. Oh, Dalek's master plan. I mean, the one I'd love to see out of that is I'd love to see Marco Polo um, because that's yes, one of the stories like. that just really, really fascinates me. Uh, I, I, it seems like an absolutely cracking script. Um, and I love the Aztecs, love the Aztecs. So so to get um, a seven-episode historical by the same writer, I, I, I just think would be, would be brilliant. But it, but that's the that's the one that, that you know, you really want to see the... the the episodes of that turn up because in i think that is one of all of them that animation will not do justice to the costumes and the sets that you had unless they spent a fortune on the animation which they're clearly not able to do um so i think the daleks master plan even for all its 12 episodes is far more likely to happen than marco polo yeah. i think that will probably be the last one to be done I have to keep watching and keep waiting. What's going to be next on these on the list? What's coming for the rest of 2021 and into 2022? I never really know what they're going to pull out of the pack next. I didn't expect that Web of Fear special edition, for example. That was a nice surprise. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of other things in the coming years. The, the footage that we talked about, that Umatics footage of Fort Doomsday and the Keeper of Trark, and we're told again that that will be appearing on one of the collected edition Blu-ray sets at some point. You know, that, that's a range that's going to run on for another three or four years. So we've got that to look forward to, the Evil of the Daleks animated version. That's out in September on the 27th of September 2021. We'll look forward to that too. Exciting times for Doctor Who, certainly off-screen and within the fandom. We'll get together and talk about some of it, I'm sure, as it's released. But, uh, yeah, that is the, that's the old girl rumbling away in the background, starting up and calling time on another Type 40. I'll be back with a further instalment <laughs> soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home of Type 40, type40.podbean.com, podcast feed due to popular demand, of course. Other than that, you can catch us on the podcatcher of your choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Google Play, and the Podbean app itself. We're also on YouTube, the world's largest largest streaming platform, on the Spacebooks YouTube channel, or the Fandom Podcast Network's own channel too. And we're still on the Fandom Podcast Network's master feed. That's loaded with so many treats for your ears on a weekly basis. Maybe you'd like to have your say. Let us know what you think of it all. Reach out to us at our social media presence, Instagram and Twitter, at Type40DoctorWho, or you can email us, Type40DoctorWho at gmail.com. And if you're feeling really brave and fancy some uh, real-time, extra-dimensional chit-chat, you can head over to Facebook and join the Type40 Facebook group, five years old this summer, and still full of fans of all ages, sharing both classic and new Doctor Who gold. Simon, where can people catch up with you on social media? People can come and find me on Facebook uh, if they look for Doctor Who the Hoonatics, um, W-H-O-N-A-T-I-C-S. I am the admin on there, so come and say hello on there. 
Barnaby, where can people catch up with you or hear some of your work more to the point? Oh, just more on my um, uh, on my YouTube channel, which is just called Barnaby. For uh, simplicity's sake. No fat on that, is there? No fat. <laughs> and you can find me scattered through all of space and time, but mostly on Twitter and Instagram as the Spacebook, where I'm wheezing and I'm groaning and posting about all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. Thanks again both for, for this uh, nice casual chat about classic yeah. and new Doctor Who. I don't think we've really cleared anything up whatsoever. But it's it's been a good giggle, and yes, I'm educated yeah. as to the formats of these of these tapes. So thanks for bringing those out again, Simon. That was You're a lot welcome. of fun, and thanks to everybody out there for being here. We'll always have the time here at Type Forty if you have the space. That is it for now. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Bye. Goodbye, Engin. A Doctor Who podcast is a Spacebook production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.